Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like Him. Well, welcome to Venice Church. My name's Matt. Um, I get the honor of being one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us, we've spent the majority of the summer walking through the Gospel of John. This amazing book that is written by one of the first followers of Jesus And his account of his experience with Jesus is is very different than the other three that we have. And maybe that's because John wrote it so late in his life. John is, is, we think, maybe in his mid to late 90s by the time that he writes this gospel. It's the last one of the gospels to be written. And and John writes with with a different tone, with a different perspective. And maybe it's because he has, as Jasmine mentioned a few weeks ago, the gift of hindsight. And he's able to have perspective on all the experiences that he had with Jesus, unlike any of the others. But as I read this again, I'm constantly reminded that when John's writing this, he doesn't know he's writing the Bible. And this isn't the only part of the New Testament we have that was written by John. John is the Lord's working in his life. And he's writing all these things, and he wrote other books in the Bible, and he wrote Revelation. And I keep getting questions about, Matt, when you're going to preach on Revelation, because we're in the end times, the Lord is coming. We're closer than we've ever been. Well, no duh. <laughs> Guess what? We're closer now than we were five seconds ago. And I've, I've preached on Revelation before, but you, you, you want me to give you a sermon on Revelation? Here it is, Revelation. God wins. I mean, I know there's more to it than that, but in the end... You may sum up Revelation, God wins. All right, let's just go home. We're done. But John writes this gospel, and he's, he's just recount. It's really, I, I, I think of it as a journal. That John is journaling down his experience with Jesus, and he's reminding us that He didn't put his faith and trust in Jesus because he read about him. He didn't put his faith and trust in Jesus because somebody told him or or preached to him the gospel. No, John saw things with his own eyes and heard things with his own ears. And these things had such an impact on his life that he gave his full self to Jesus. And what he would have to endure in order to stay true to Jesus is more than I don't know than any of us will ever have to experience. And he's writing down these experiences and he remembers these encounters and these conversations and these amazing miracles. But as we've been looking for the last several weeks, John dedicates the majority of his gospel to the last few hours, really, of Jesus' life. He moves into this place called the upper room where Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples before he would be arrested and go through trials and end up being crucified. And you know what? We've decided next week we're just going to have Easter again. We really are. Like next week I am going to preach the reality of the resurrection like it was March or April. We're going to have full-on Easter next Sunday, and I hope that's okay with everybody. 
So next week, we're going to have a very special gathering. We're actually going to serve communion together next week. It's the first time we've had communion in a really, really long time. And so if you're with us online and, and you're not ready to come back yet and you know you're going to be worshiping in your home next week, grab the communion elements. and oh, Or maybe even if you're in the room, tickets are kind of going crazy. So just go ahead and get them when you go to Food Line this week. Just so maybe that you're prepared, because during the gathering, we're going to have a time where we remember what Jesus did on the cross. Because if we're honest, every Sunday should be Easter. Every day should be Easter. Every day we should celebrate and live in the reality that we serve a God who has conquered death. I got to get to the sermon. Y'all got to quit, okay? So before we get there, though, John is recording these last words of Jesus. When Jesus is having this intimate moment with his first followers, and Jesus knows what they don't know, he knows that in just a matter of hours, everything is going to go sideways. Their world is going to be completely flipped upside down, that there's a fallout coming. And, and not only is this fallout from the time that he's arrested and crucified between the crucifixion and his death and his resurrection, but even after his resurrection, as they pursue him, that the cost of following him, Jesus is aware of how expensive it's going to be. And he's alluded to that throughout his ministry, but now it's getting real. He's trying to prepare them for what is ahead of them. He's trying to get them to press in before the persecution comes. Because if you wait to press in when the pressure comes, the pressure will be too much. And so he very clearly, very powerfully articulates the reality that awaits his disciples. Go into John chapter 16. We're going to get to 17 in a minute. But go into John 16 and look at verse 1. Again, by this time, They've left the upper room. And I don't know if it, during this conversation it's kind of on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane or if it's whatever, but it says, come let us leave at the end of, of John chapter 14. So even what we looked at last week, we don't really know where, that, where this discussion is happening. But Jesus says in John 16, verse 1, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. That everything that I'm saying right now is to prepare you so that when it does go sideways, so that when your ability to follow me gets challenged, when the fallout comes, you don't fall away. I'm trying to prepare you so that you will follow through the fallout. That I'm, these words that I'm using in this moment, they're intentional and they're to get you ready because what you're about to experience, I know you think you love me. I know you think you're committed to me. I know that you think that you love me so deeply that there's nothing that could ever happen to separate you from me, but you have no idea. You have no idea how hard it's gonna be to consistently walk with me. You have no idea. And then verse 12, he says, the, the reality is I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He says, there's so much more I would like to say. There's so many more things that you need to know so that you're ready when all this comes. But if I told you everything, you couldn't take it. 
If I was to explain to you, John, that someday your reward for following me is they're gonna try to boil you in oil. If you're from Randolph County, that's oil. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because that's exactly what John would have to endure. They would try to literally boil him in oil. And when that didn't work, they would exile him all by himself on this isle called Patmos. He says, if I, if I told you everything that you're gonna have to endure in order to stay faithful for me, to me, you couldn't even bear it. There's much more I wanna say to you, but right now I can't say it. But here's the good news. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit and he's gonna speak these things to you and he's gonna be the, the voice that helps you through all the things that you're gonna have to struggle through. Go to verse 33, John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Not you might have trouble. Not that it's highly likely that things are gonna get bad. No, you will. Newsflash. The world's a crazy place. Oh, y'all didn't know that? You're gonna have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That following me in this world is gonna be challenging, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard. In this world, you, you will have trouble. I don't know if somebody told you otherwise, and so when, it's like when coronavirus hit and everything went sideways, you, you do realize we're such prisoners. This isn't the first time things have been bad. Again, everybody's trying to get me to preach on Revelation because there's so many signs. This isn't the first time there's been signs. And if you have a preacher tell you that he can tell you when Jesus is coming back, punch him in the throat and run away. Because scripture says Jesus himself doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. And Jesus won't know until the Father decides to speak to, to him and then he comes. You will have trouble in this world. But I've prepared you for something other than this world. That this world is not all there is. That I have overcome it and I'm gonna restore it. And everything I'm saying to you is to get you to the place where you are equipped to walk through this world with joy and hope and confidence in who I am. And then go into verse one of chapter 17. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. John remembers that Jesus at this point, he said everything to us that he can say. He's done his very level best to prepare us for what was coming next. And then there comes a point when he realizes that the only thing he can do is pray for us. Now, we have a lot of instances in the scriptures where we're told Jesus went off to pray. And most often those, those moments are, are in solitude, so we don't have a window into what Jesus prayed. Read through the Gospels and look how often it says that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place to pray. 
Number one, I think God allows us to know that because if the Son of God needed moments when he disconnected from the world to pray, how much more do we? Come on, church. How much more do we? But this is, we get a special insight this time. Jesus doesn't withdraw to a solitary place. You know why? Because I think he wanted his disciples to hear his words. Jesus didn't do anything haphazardly. Jesus was never careless or causeless with anything that he did. I think Jesus, Jesus could have waited and prayed this prayer when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, when he told Peter and the others to stay and wait and watch while he went off to pray. And then he could have prayed for his disciples when he prayed for himself and the things that he was about to face. Now, I think he prayed this in front of them because he wanted to hear what he prayed. You ever done that? Like you've prayed intentionally over your kids so they can hear your words, and really you praying and preaching at the same time. Dear Lord, I pray that this boy acts like he's got some sense so that I don't kill him. I've never had to pray that over my son. I'm just, that's what my dad prayed over me probably. But anyway, that Jesus is praying and preaching at the same time. And look at what he says. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture will be fulfilled Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself so that they too may be truly sanctified. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one in them and I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus praised this beautiful prayer over his disciples, he knows. He knows what lay ahead of them. He knows what they're gonna experience. He knows the persecution and pressure that's gonna come because of their decision to live in faithfulness to Jesus. And so everything he prays, he prays intentionally. 
because of his concern for what they're gonna go through, and he's trying to teach them something. And there's three things that Jesus specifically prays for them that just stand out to me in, in his prayer. Number one, he prays for our security. He prays for our security. Why? Because he knows that there are threats to those who follow Jesus. See, we, church, America, people, we've had it really good for a long time. And it's almost like it's lulled us into this false sense of security. But can I say to you, I don't know that we've seen anything yet. Can I, can I be honest? Y'all know I'm gonna be. It's gonna get harder and harder to follow Jesus. Consistently and faithfully. You hearing me? You ain't seen nothing yet. It's gonna get harder and harder and harder to faithfully follow Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And all throughout his word, he tried to make that clear and prepare us for that reality. He says this to the disciples all throughout this conversation. Go back into John 16, look at verse two. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. He says, guys, there's gonna come a time when following me is not just gonna cost you your comfort. It's gonna mean you have to sacrifice your very life. And that people that seek to take that from you are gonna think they're doing it for God. And now it's easy to think, oh, he's talking about the persecution that breaks out in the book of Acts when Stephen is stoned. But I think he's talking about persecution that was inevitable for the lifetime of what it would be to follow Jesus. And so he's praying for our security. Go back, verse 14, John, John 17, 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says, I've given them your word and they've, they've hated them. See, we believe in this thing that if I follow Jesus, I'm gonna be this really good person that everybody's gonna like and everybody's gonna love. And Jesus says, no, when you follow me, there is actually gonna be people in this world that not just dislike you for it, not just disagree with you because of it, but hate you for it. I gotta preach this, y'all, y'all with me? They, they hate you for it. That you stand for truth and people hate you for it. That you stay true to who God's called you to be and your reward, they hate you for it. And he says, no, you don't need to withdraw from the world. He's not trying to take us out of the world, but protect us while we're living in it, that we don't disengage, but we stay engaged and we stay connected and we keep trying to be the light in the culture that it needs, but just understand that that's gonna get challenging and difficult and people are not just gonna dislike you, they're gonna hate you. Y'all with me? Say amen. Go back, verse 11, the latter part of verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
Look at me. Following Jesus is fulfilling, but it ain't always fun. (laughs) Jesus said, you're gonna have to take up your cross, not pick up your pillow. That if you want comfortable and predictable and safe and easy, you don't want Jesus. And if your life is comfortable, predictable, safe, and easy, I don't know that we're following Jesus like he's called us to. So Jesus prays for our security. He also prays for our maturity. He also prays for our maturity. Go back, John 17 17 and 18. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He uses that word, sanctify. And I know that's a big old churchy word that a lot of us may not even be familiar with and the rest of us aren't really comfortable with. But he says, sanctify them. Set them apart, consecrated as holy. That they're, we're not better than anybody, but we're different. Come on, following Jesus doesn't make you better, but it makes you different. When the word of God starts to mold you and transform you, it doesn't make you better than anybody, but it will make you different. He says, sanctify them, grow them up, make them into who you've created them to be. And one of the things that I think is causing a lot of issues in our culture is the lack of spiritual maturity within the church. And the reason why there's a lack of spiritual maturity in the church is because we've misdefined it for decades. Because we thought it was about how much Bible you know that made you spiritual mature. When the reality is, it's not how much Bible you know, it's how much you are willing to live. It's not the amount of Scripture, it's the application of Scripture that leads to spiritual maturity. I don't care how much Bible you can quote. I know a lot of really evil people. that The devil knows every word in the Bible. It's not about the amount of Scripture, it's the application of Scripture. It's not about how disciplined you can be in reading it. It's about how consistent you will be in living it. Spiritual maturity. And then the third thing he prays for is our unity. Our unity. Look at what he says. Go back into verse 20. John 17, verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. So I'm not just praying for these current disciples. I'm praying for all the disciples that will come after them. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Go back down to verse 23. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. He says, God, I pray for their security because following me ain't gonna be safe. They're gonna have to take up their cross, not their pillow. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be difficult. 
Lord, I pray, God, Father, I pray for their, for their maturity, that you will sanctify them, that you will grow them up so that they have the spiritual maturity to know how to navigate the challenges that await them. And Father, I pray that they're one because what lies ahead of them, they can't endure alone. And if you don't unify them, they're gonna attempt to do this without each other. And they can't. If they're not connected, if they're not together, if they don't find a way to have community even in the presence of diversity, if they don't come together, if they're not as one, and look, he doesn't, he even describes the kind of oneness that he has in mind. One like we're one. That's, a, that's, that's one. Not one like, just like a basketball team or a team, like one like we are one. Because if they're not one, if they're not together, if they try to do this thing called following me, independent of each other, they will, they will never make it. Jesus knew what lay ahead for his disciples and he taught him as much, taught them as much as he could to prepare them. But then there came a time when he had to pray. And the three things that he prayed over us are the three things that's necessary if we're gonna actually live out our faith with consistency. He prays for our security, our maturity, and our unity. Because this life with Jesus was never supposed to be easy. And if we don't grow up, try to do this thing together and ask God to continue to give us strength when it gets hard, we're not gonna make it. I can't imagine what it was like to hear Jesus praying over them. As I read that this week, I thought about all the times that people have prayed over me. Have you ever had one of those special moments where, where somebody that you love and deeply respect prayed over you? Do you remember those moments? I remember when, when I got ordained as a pastor and that moment when I knelt at an altar and a bunch of people that I really love and respect gathered around me and laid hands on me. And I remember they allowed my dad to pray over me in that moment. And I remember parts of his prayer because sometimes the way the prayer moves you is very dependent on who prays it. Come on. You ever had that moment when that loved one, that, that family member who was that prayer warrior over your life? Can I just remind you that, that you have someone constantly praying for you? And you know who that is? It's Jesus. Jesus didn't just pray for us in that moment. This is not gonna be on the screen, but I wanna remind you what Romans 8 says, I love Romans 8. If you've been around our church, you know, I think everybody should read Romans 8 every single day. Get up in the morning, brew some coffee, put some creamer in it so it's actually tolerable, and open your Bible to Romans 8. And in Romans 8, it says in verse 34, who then is the one who condemns no one? Then check this out. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
that Jesus is constantly praying with you and for you because he knows following him in this life is more difficult than we can imagine. So that's what I wanna leave you with today. Yeah, he prayed for your security, your maturity and your unity. And I want you to process all that and figure out how you need to work through that in your spirit. But I wanna remind you today that you have a savior that didn't just pray for you in a moment before he went to the cross. That that savior they crucified rose from the grave and now he sits at the right hand of the father. And scripture says he is constantly interceding on your behalf. So lean into that hope. So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. Knowing that as you're praying right now, whatever it is you're praying for, you're not praying for it by yourself. That as you're crying out to God, Jesus is there with the Father. And I know this is weird, and there's a lot of theological things that are surrounded by this, but he's at the Father interceding on our behalf. And because of that reality, I wanna read you some more of that verse. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're watching online, just soak this up. It says he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Then verse 35 says, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So God, today, as we bow before you, Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to pray, but we thank you that ours isn't the only voice that you're hearing right now. That next to you, Father, is the same Jesus that offered up this prayer that John heard and wrote down that he's interceding in ways that we don't even understand. He's praying prayers we don't even know to pray. He's asking you to do things in us that we don't even know to ask. And for that, God, today we're grateful. And Lord, we pray that the resources of heaven would be unleashed in our lives as the Son cries out on behalf of your children. God, we lean in today and we praise you and we give thanks and glory to your name. And we pray all this in the name of the one whose voice we know you hear, your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.